Hey friends, glad you're joining me again. This is my third installment of the Bitter Medicine series. This series was done in mind not just to tear down, but also to build up. I'm of the mind that if Global Methodist Church or Free Methodist Church, other Wesleyan bodies want to move forward from the failures of the United Methodist Church, then there is a lot to be gained from diagnosing what went wrong and how it is that things need to be uh, done right going forward. You can't determine what's right without determining what's wrong first. You know, that's, that's how a doctor treats a malady. You have to have a diagnosis of what was wrong. Um, and then likewise, whenever we're running institutions aimed at glorifying God in the, the same way that early Methodism did, carrying that, that heritage forward uh, straight from Acts chapter 2, then um, we need to know where we have failed in order to know how to course correct. So in the first uh, installment that I did in this series, I talked about how we uh, irresponsibly oversaw local church membership and how that inevitably led to these local church votes going badly. Um, on the last one, I'm forgetting right now exactly whatever I talked about, um, but this one is uh, talking about what happens at annual conference every year. Uh, my old annual conference, I've, I've left, I'm now GMC clergy, I belong to the Oklahoma Annual Conference, and by far, my least favorite part of annual conference every single year was the part that's going to be going on today. That's when clergy, clergy go into executive session, and um, the new ordinands recommended by the Board of Ordained Ministry take their vows and then are, impro are approved by uh, the whole body of ordained clergy for being um, sworn in at the ordination service uh, a couple days later, or maybe that night. I forget the logistics of it. So they haven't met just yet today. The anxiety around Oklahoma is that the bishop, uh, even against the Judicial Council ruling, um, has filed charges against every single ordained clergy that transferred to the GMC rather than turning their credentials in and leaving ministry. Um, since they are not acknowledging the Global Methodist Church as a, a denominational entity, uh, they're saying that anyone who is left to go to the GMC has to turn in their credentials, which is highly offensive to those who are not leaving ministry but uh, are leaving the UMC to go to the GMC or another uh, denomination. So anyway, um, the reason that it was my least favorite part of annual conference every year is because everybody is lying. Um, unless they're just super ignorant most in the assembly are aware that those being sworn in as new clergy do not believe what they say they are believing. Um, and so every year there is um, what I would consider kind of a, it's not a conspiracy, well, it's kind of a conspiracy, it's just a, an assent to dishonesty as everyone, liberal and conservative, generally signs on for welcoming people into our ranks that are going to work against the Book of Discipline. So as I was thinking about recording this today, I wanted to, to hit it hard on the front. If you are a clergy who every year comes to annual conference and you vote to approve all of the ordinance suggested by the Board of Ordained Ministry, um, maybe if, if you're in the southern United States and your Board of Ordained Ministry is actually doing their job, then that isn't something that wounds your conscience. But if you are in an annual conference where over time more and more liberal progressives have been brought in and fewer and fewer conservative clergy, and yet you've continued to vote in every new 
class that has been suggested, well, then you have created your own problem. The reason that we have, uh, we, the reason the, the United Methodist Church has gotten to where it is is because they have put people in positions of authority, not just at the top, but at the grassroots level, who are disloyal to our heritage doctrinally and otherwise. Um, they, they showed you who they were on the way in. You chose to defer responsibility to the Board of Ordained Ministry or to someone else. We might talk about your reasons for doing so here in a little bit, but um, I'm a conservative. I believe in personal responsibility, and I believe that it was the responsibility of all conservative clergy to hold the line against those who would come in and disrupt the fellowship and leave the doctrine and when you chose to go along to get along, you signed uh, the death warrant of the United Methodist Church. So the reason I'm bringing this up, and we're going to walk through some articles, we're going to look at some quotes that I hope are, are helpful to you, but the reason we need to look at it right now is because as you join a new Wesleyan body, and hopefully you are, hopefully you're not going independent, you need to have the integrity that you lacked when you were in the former body. Now, if you actually had integrity and you were voting against ordinance that, that shouldn't have been in place, then good on you, good for you. Uh, you shouldn't be offended by this because you know I'm speaking general truth. Just like whenever someone is railing from the pulpit against sinners, if you're taking a, offense to it, that's because you're dead in your sins, not because um, you have been born again and you're going, hey, this doesn't apply to me. You know when uh, a word of condemnation needs to be uttered against those who are doing destruction and uh, those who have continued to vote in favor of ordinands that are not worthy of carrying on the legacy of the, the Methodist movement, that needs to be roundly condemned. And if you're getting persnickety and saying, well, hey, I voted against it one year, you're, you're not hearing me. I'm, I'm dealing with a, a huge systemic problem that required the vast assent of the vast majority of conservatives in order for this to happen. So um, I thought it was prescient to look at this article um, written by John Lomparis uh, last year, August 17th, 2022. The, the article is called Transitional United Methodist Integrity. And um, I posted this on my wall whenever it first came out, and I got a lot of pushback from people on the Board of Ordained Ministry saying, hey, these people that we brought in that are liberals, they love Jesus every bit as much as a conservative. Uh, got a lot of pushback on this, and, and what I didn't have the clarity to offer at that moment was it doesn't matter how much somebody loves Jesus. It matters how much they conform to the standards set by the denomination, whether or not that denomination should ordain them. And the lack of discernment that we had along the way is what caused this problem. So I wanted to read over... Uh, some of Lomparis's article, most of Lomparis's article, it still applies today. And then I wanted to um, look at some quotes from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and then I, I think that'll be the end of this segment. But I, I want to urge you to stick with me, whether or not you're guilty of this particular sin. I want to urge you, let us resolve, at least in the global Methodist church, to take this particular rite of passage much more seriously Year after year, I, who could make these vows in earnest, had to watch as people lied through their teeth, who I knew were not going to uphold these vows, and as people lied through their teeth, who knew that these people were not going to uphold their vows. They knew they weren't going to uphold it. Others watching them knew they weren't going to uphold it. We just got together and lied every year and watched as the UMC cratered. This is what happens. So let's look at this article. Here we go. 
United Methodism is in a slow motion split. For members and pastors who remain United Methodists for now, what do integrity and faithfulness look like in this transitional season? So yeah, I'm, I've left, there's no role for me to play, but there are a lot of conservatives that are still left behind in these bodies. It's probably too late for me to influence how things happen in Oklahoma. It's happening later today. It takes me a while to put these things out. But what is it that those left behind in other conferences can do to maintain their integrity? It is clear that the Global Methodist Church will be home for United Methodists with traditional biblical, doctrinal, and moral standards, while the post-separation United Methodist Church will increasingly radicalize on more issues than just gay weddings. I had a guy writing me this last week saying, you think the abortion stance is going to change? Absolutely the abortion stance is going to change. Uh, that's, a, that's another just statistical inevitability. But just because we may personally expect to be in another denomination at some point in the future is no reason we cannot defend biblical faithfulness in our own church until the day it is no longer our church. So after this article was written, they had jurisdictional conferences in which uh, resolutions were approved, one of which saying, if you think you're leaving, you need to just go ahead and resign your positions of influence anywhere you are. You have no right to influence the future direction of the United Methodist Church. I did reviews on each of the three um, resolutions approved at the jurisdictional conferences. Uh, go back through my, my video log to, to find those. But what I said there and what I would reiterate here is, while you're part of a covenant community, you're part of a covenant community, and you have every right for your voice to be equally heard as everybody else in that covenant community. So until they release you, until the date of your release, you have every right to exercise the authority that you have within any body that you have been put on within the covenant community. Anyone who's trying to silence your voice is trying to position things. Here's the thing. They just are enraged anytime they have to deal with people who think and feel differently than them. Don't give in to their anger. You are entitled to a place at the table until you are no longer at that table. God always calls Christians to defend faithfulness and integrity wherever we are, for however long we are there. There is never a period when it is bad for Christians, even United Methodists, to defend faithfulness and integrity or when it is commendable for a Christian to support or participate in unfaithfulness. So this is a basic part of discernment that was lost along the way. We were told that we need to go along to get along, that to be Christian is to be nice, and that there has to be some give and take and some negotiation whenever it comes to matters of group righteousness. And that is a, a satanic position. That is where Satan wants us to be, where light is negotiating with darkness. We need to reclaim some basic discernment, which is the body of Christ is called to be the bride of Christ. We are called to exercise purity within the body, not negotiate with those who want to upend uh, the integrity of the body. And that's just not in churches. Any nonprofits you serve on, anything that you're a part of, you should never be a part of going along with a lie if you claim to follow Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. There's just no way for a Christian to participate in lies and be right with God. Well, there's no way for anyone to participate in lies and be right with God, but especially a Christian and especially a minister. Let's go on. While some liberal leaders try shaming United Methodists into silence if they may eventually end up in the GMC, I've not seen any, you know what, we're going to skip that paragraph because it's kind of a reiteration. Beyond our local congregations, prudent stewardship of time and resources may now mean drawing back from certain unfruitful or counterproductive denominational commitments. 
but faithful Christians, as long as they remain United Methodists, should still attend conferences and meetings when we have a chance to make a relative difference by voting for fairness, integrity, and biblical faithfulness. This is especially the case for elected jurisdictional conference delegates. Some actions like approving ordination, that's what I'm talking about today, or commissioning candidates for boards of ordained ministry only require 25% to block destructive actions as recently seen in Florida. Now, what he's talking about in Florida, uh, this is um, David De Silva. He's a professor. I actually uh, interviewed him a few weeks ago. I should be putting that interview up soon. He is a very sharp, very faithful guy. I hope you watch the interview. But he did this article, uh, a write-up on what happened in Florida, where the Board of Ordained Ministry passed three candidates who were openly gay for ordained ministry, and they wanted the whole assembly, rather than voting on them individually as they had in years past, they put them all together in a block vote so that to vote no on these two would be to vote no on all of the rest of them. It was a heavy-handed power play, and conservatives in Florida called their bluff and voted down the whole slate of candidates, which just enraged people on the left. They thought that they had stacked the deck in their favor and no, what they did was mutually assured destruction. So several conservative candidates also got shut down at that time. Anyway, I'll, I'll include the link to that in the show notes uh, to this article. So if you want to read about that, check that out. It was, it, was, it was a big deal just a few months ago. A lot has happened since then, huh? Faithfulness will also at times include filling, filing formal complaints against clergy violating the biblical standards of what remains our denomination. Now, this has been a much harder thing uh, to do, especially when you think you're leaving. It just requires a lot of uh, courage to file charges against someone when you know the, the whole system is hostile, and you see so many instances of complaints being dismissed or not handled correctly. It's very hard to trust in the system that has been doing everything it can to not earn that trust, to betray that trust. Let's remember our United Methodist ordination vows found in paragraph 217 of the Book of Discipline, we vowed to, quote, receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the Old and New Testaments. Voting against candidates and challenging actions contrary to Scripture honor this sacred membership vow. If, if you don't have the moral clarity to realize that, that um, being faithful and loving requires saying no, now is, a time, now is the time to understand that, to deal with that before you enter into a new body and carry your your faulty presuppositions with you. In order to maintain the integrity of the body, you have to be willing to be mean and say no. Uh, and of course, you don't have to identify as mean. You can, you can and should identify as a very loving person as you say no. Just as I tell my son, no, he should not play with knives, you should be willing to tell ordinands that do not believe in this stuff that they should not be leading within your covenant community. That, that should not be a scandalous or hard thing to do. We vowed to, quote, confess Jesus Christ as Savior, put the whole, uh, their whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Him as their Lord. Honoring this membership vow includes defending Christ's lordship over all human life, including sexuality. That was not an offensive thing to say or believe until very recently. Until five minutes ago, everybody knew that sexual holiness was tied to a larger individual holiness in God's sight. Don't, don't let the current cultural moment cow you into cowardice. You like that alliteration? I sure did. We also vowed to, quote, be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church and do all in our power to strengthen its ministries. 
Blocking clearly unfaithful candidates from being approved as clergy protects both the church and the candidates themselves from needless harm. Clergy who openly oppose clear biblical values weaken the United Methodist Church's ministries, and so challenging their unfaithfulness is one indispensable way of fulfilling our vows to strengthen the UMC's ministries. Yes, many resent biblical standards and Christ's lordship and will respond with angry protests and accusations of meanness. If you're not willing to be accused of being mean or judgmental, you really should not be in Christian ministry because that is essentially the position that you're, you're, you're filing for is for the be, to be the one at the head of the body exercising discernment about what's good for the body and what's not good for the body. Um, there are a lot of people who just want to love people, and I think that they should be in, in Christian leadership in some capacity, but not ordained leadership, not eldership of a local community. So that's, that's, a, that's a big problem, in my opinion. Let's look at, um, let's look at some of these standards. Um, there are more specific things that are vowed. Uh, it used to drive me nuts whenever they would lie about these. Uh, it's, it's the same thing I've been harping on this whole time. Ordinance would get in front of the whole annual conference clergy, and they would lie about this stuff. Have you faith in Christ? I have. They usually mean that in some capacity. Are you going on to perfection? This is the first lie. They do not mean this. Uh, a lot of conservatives don't even mean this. They don't believe in perfection. This is the grand depositum of uh, Wesley's theology and what the Methodists had to offer. We don't talk about it anymore, and that's to our great detriment. So many clergy do not belong in the pulpit because they don't believe in this. Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? God willing, I do. Okay, so this is an extension of that. Do you believe that God can bring to perfection that which he has started in you in this life? Are you earnestly striving after it? With God's help, I am. That is another lie. The vast majority of clergy are not pursuing holiness and righteousness with every breath that they have. They are content with the level of balance they have between sin and righteousness in their lives. They're not in the gate, in, in, in the the Methodist task, the Christian task of allowing Christ to destroy our sin, rather they are in the modern task of sin management. Um, are you resolved to devote yourself wholly to God and God's work? I am so resolved. You know what? I can't tell you how many clergy I found that just make it a 9-to-5, 40-hour-a-week job that feel so entitled to have their own private life, to be defended against the church, to create these separate spheres. That is by far the norm in the United Methodist Church, and it was to our detriment. We started looking at ordained eldership as a career and not a calling. Doesn't matter what language we use, that is what is practically reflected in this. Uh, do you know the general rules of our church? I do. Lots of liars there. If you want to know if someone knows the general rules of the church, just ask them what rule three is. If they say stay in love with God, they do not know what they're talking about. It is attend upon the ordinances of God. And under each of the three rules, there are several specific uh, ways in which they're expected. We are expected as clergy, Methodist clergy, to uphold, do no harm, do good, attend upon the ordinances of God. Will you keep them? I will so endeavor. Most are lying. Have you studied the doctrines of the United Methodist Church? I have studied them. After full examination, do you believe that our doctrines are in harmony with the Holy Scriptures? I believe they are. This is a huge area where they lie. So many people have looked at the doctrines of the church. They might agree with some, but they don't agree with all, but they say they agree with all. They have this, um, James Lindsay talks about the iron law of woke projection, and that means that liberals just assume that conservatives do the whole thing. 
the same thing. Conservatives, they believe everything in the Bible, and then they sign on to uh, enforcing and protecting everything in the Book of Discipline. Liberals believe in some of the Bible, they believe in some of the Book of Discipline, and they have no qualms about some parts being used against other parts as their conscience uh, does. That, that's just not a problem for them. Um, to the best of my ability, oh wait, will you preach and maintain them? To the best of my ability, I will. Another lie. Have you studied our form of church discipline and polity? I have. Do you approve of our church government and polity? I do so approve. Will you support and maintain them? I will with God's help. Will you diligently instruct the children in every place? I will. This is one we don't talk as much about, but a lot of clergy are not involved in instructing children in any serious sense, and this was once upon a time a big part of our DNA that we should claim back. If you can't explain things to a child in a way that they understand, then you are not an expert at what you're doing. So this is just a regular way to keep clergy humble and keep our eye on the ball. Will you visit from house to house? This is my commitment. Liars, liars. Ma vast majority of clergy do not go to people's homes unless they're explicitly invited. Uh, the Methodist way was to go to people's homes, see how they live, go to their workplace, see how they work, see their relationships, their way of life, their habitus is the, the Latin phrase. So uh, hopefully what I'm exposing here is not just liberals are lying, but a lot of conservatives who see themselves as like big picture pastors that are too busy to be bothered with going house to house or working with children. Um, if, if that was your understanding going into it, you were lying when you did this, and that's a problem. Um, will you recommend fasting or abstinence both by precept and example? The vast majority of, of uh, United Methodist clergy do not fast or practice abstinence intentionally. I'm sure there are many that do by default, uh, but uh, self-denial is not even seriously entertained as a practice by, uh, well, all liberal clergy. Should I say that? No, I, I should say the, the vast majority of liberal clergy, and then even a majority of conservative clergy do not regularly practice fasting. Many have never practiced fasting, um, and that's to our great detriment. That's something that should change as people go over to the Global Methodist Church. Are you determined to employ all your time in the work of God? That is my intention. There's so many are lying. Um, are you in debt so as to embarrass you in your work? I am not. I've heard people get upset about this one because seminary is so expensive. Um, but, you know, the question is how much debt is embarrassing. I, I don't know that that applies as much today, but maybe it does. Will you observe the following directions? Be diligent, never be unemployed, never be triflingly employed, never trifle away time, never spend any more time at any one place than is strictly necessary. <laughs> Do we believe that, that many clergy at all really agree with this? Uh, be punctual, do everything exactly at the time, and do not mend our rules, but keep them, not for wrath, but for conscience sake. I mean, is this, this is clearly just a series of lies that everybody is participating in together. We're watching the individual people who are saying they will do these things lie, and then the whole body is asked to just corporately say, yeah, we believe them, even though hardly anyone really does. Most people, they look at these words and they just go, oh, these are just signposts of a previous era interesting, but no, we don't, we don't honor these anymore. In which case, like, 
that I don't I don't see what the point is. I, I, well, I, I what I would argue is the actual function is demoralizing the body so that you're not compelled to actually make decisions according to God's word because you've all just lied together. You're complicit in big lies together. And so then you can just make decisions as accords your group conscience rather than uh, standing in fear of God's judgment. Um, ooh, I'm having fun with this one today. Let's go back to the Lom Paris article. Um, don't let liberal bullies intimidate you. And please don't take their sanctimonious rhetoric seriously. It is clergy's unfaithfulness, not accountability, that is responsible for hurting the church and its people. No one is entitled to be ordained. Among the questions, uh, he goes over several of these uh, questions I just did. I just went over all of them. Those ordained elders are also asked in reference to the church's doctrines, will you preach and maintain them? Yet we see so many of our clergy and even bishops recklessly preach against our church's doctrines and otherwise violate our church law. And the sad fact of the matter is that many cynically took these vows without meaning them. He is saying they are liars and he is not wrong. One cleric who thankfully later converted frankly admitted how he became a United Methodist pastor without even being a Christian, quote, I lied. Here is the article that is contained, and I clicked on the link. Eric Huffman is his name. Really good article, and he is representative of a great number. Yeah, there's that quote, I lied. Great number of United Methodist clergy who had no, he, they never had any intention of, of uh, defending the Book of Discipline, preaching our doctrines, practicing our way of life. In fact, I shouldn't even say our because at this point, I represent a small minority tradition within the traditional Orthodox conservative camp within the United Methodist Church. So many who claim to be conservative, they know that far-left liberalism is wrong, but they don't know uh, the, the power and the truth of the, the originalist, primitive uh, Methodist position because they've never sampled it. They've never tried it. Um, let's go back to the article. Um, in a Twitter exchange some years ago, one young liberal declared, if every clergyman was honest, none would be ordained, and he has the, the receipts to prove that. Other clergy may protest that they were sincere when taking these vows, but subsequently changed their views. Um, Bishop Oliveto, I, I did um, uh, a segment, The Bishops in Their Own Words, I think is what it was called, she says that she took her vows before there was an official position on LGBTQ stuff, and so she never lied. It's that the church changed. That was a very uh, creative uh, argument that doesn't really pass the sniff test. But most say, oh, I, I believed in it. You know, it's like Barack Obama. He was against gay marriage until all of a sudden he was for it. They say, hey, I really, I really did believe this stuff, and now I just don't. Um, that's probably true for some, probably not anything close to even half. Um, all right. Whether unorthodox clergy consciously lied their way through the United Methodist ordination or later changed their minds, where is there any integrity in their remaining as clergy in this denomination without continued faithfulness to their vows? For many, it is a simple fact that this is personally financially beneficial, but their entire ministries are based on self-serving falsehood. They cripple the church through cynical infiltration. So what he's saying there is, if you have any integrity at all as a person— if your convictions change and they no longer conform to the group, you leave the group. Just leave. 
I don't know why people don't leave. Well, the only reason they wouldn't leave is I'm not qualified to do much else. Um, I've got a lot of money tied up in this. I'm just going to stay and make money and then try and conform the group to my personal uh, convictions, which is uh, the opposite of an integrity move. There's nothing nice or loving about dishonesty before God and the church or shaming church members who call for integrity. Many liberal activists and leaders even mimic the patterns of abusive families whenever they try to bully or silence United Methodist calling for integrity. And when they try to make loyalty to Jesus Christ and Scripture secondary to superficial institutional loyalty, they effectively redefine our membership vows as unconditional fidelity to fallible persons or bureaucracies rather than our vow to be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church. So he's calling what we've continued to see since he wrote this like half a year ago, which is people see our primary loyalty as being to the institution of the United Methodist Church rather than to Christ through the United Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church is entitled to become a stumbling block to biblical faith because their institutional loyalty has trumped loyalty to Christ, which is ridiculous, but we have lost discernment in this cultural moment. Our denomination is splitting precisely because of widespread clergy dishonesty about their vows. This is utterly unsustainable in the long term. But as of this moment, most of us find ourselves in an awkward transitional period. Liberal institutionalists now dominating the UMC bureaucracy are pursuing a bizarre combination of chasing out faithful members, but also, in so many ways and cases, needlessly hindering and blocking conferences and congregations from continuing with like-minded United Methodists into the global Methodist church. From the Old Testament to Jesus Christ's interactions with corrupt religious leaders to teachings throughout the New Testament directed to future Christians, we find repeated warnings about people who infiltrate themselves into proper positions of spiritual leadership while serving something lesser than God. So a particular note are Jude 1-4's warnings about people claiming that God's marvelous grace allows them to live immoral lives, who have wormed their way into your churches, quote, and acquired some sort of teaching influence as well as 1 Timothy 6.5's warning about false teachers who cynically use religion for their own financial gain. The reason he's doing this is the Bible equips, it's not as though we can say, oh, this is a very new problem, you know, liberalism is this new thing. No, 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 no. This goes way back to the beginning. We have scriptures dealing with people who play this same role in the body to enter into the body and corrupt the body, and unless the body can exercise proper antibodies, church discipline to take those people out, as happened in the first 150 years of Methodism when we had discernment, unless you can do that, your, your church is going to be co-opted. As we've seen in so many local churches, as we've seen in the UMC body, there has been ideological, theological capture, and that's why there's a huge exodus of all the conservatives who can get out now leaving. There's been a trickle for years, and now everybody's trying to get out. There, As I'm speaking, uh, I, I want to say more than 3,200 churches have been approved for leaving. By the time this is all over, by the end of the year, we're looking at, I think, around 6,000. Um, some conferences are looking at half of their churches leaving, and those are the ones that have been willing to go through uh, a, a huge, costly process. Uh, it, it costs them so much and they're willing to go through it just to get away from this. And the sad thing is we didn't have to, if we had exercised church discipline on along the way, 
if we had refused to participate in the lie, if we had been willing for people to call us names, we wouldn't have to be doing any of this. This was all thousands of choices made in the wrong direction all along the line. And if you haven't heard it yet, my exhortation is resolve to be different as you go into a new body. Otherwise, you're going to be seeing this exact same thing 15, 20 years down the line. Nobody wants that. Some people want that. The people who want to undo the church of Jesus Christ want that, and it's your job not to let them have what they want. Of course, we must be very careful about applying general biblical warnings to any particular individuals, but we should not delude ourselves into thinking that our denomination's bureaucracy is somehow all magically exempt from the possibility of such biblically forewarned infiltration. There are a lot of people, how dare you compare me to biblical bad guys, like that's out of bounds. The whole reason the Bible is written down is so that we can be prepared for biblical bad guys in front of us. And so, I mean, like we need to be able to, and then people in authority need to have the humility. What's, what's with this lack of humility to not even be able to consider, gee, could I possibly be doing things wrong? So I just, I think it, I think if anything, it's incriminating when someone takes offense to this. We traditionalists must recall we have all the rights of being United Methodists until the second we leave. Let us, quote, strive together as one for the faith of the gospel without us being frightened in any way by those who oppose us. That's, of course, a quote from Philippians. Let us continue. You know, it's a, it's a good closing uh, reflection, um, and I'll let you read the rest of that article, article on your own. So I think I've said the bulk of what I wanted to say. Um, I wanted to pr- uh, introduce three quotes from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a, a man who was a Russian who saw the communist takeover of Russia. Um, I read a book written in response to some of his pieces called Live Not By Lies. talks about how the West is falling because we're complicit in a, a number of lies along the way, the most recent one being that trans ideology makes any kind of sense or can lead anywhere good. But there, uh, the, the communism always results in death and, and a loss of dignity and, and, and destruction for people, but it takes over by compelling people under coercive pressures to participate in a lie. So if you're a Star, Star Trek person at one point, Captain Picard gets abducted by, uh, heck, was it the Romulans? I don't remember, but he was just shown lights, a number of lights, and they were compelling him to lie just about how many lights he sees. Um, and this is how demoralization works. When you are complicit in a lie, that makes you unable to exercise any kind of moral force because you have just publicly uh, renounced your um, moral identity. So Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he saw the rise of communism uh, in Russia, and uh, he was an activist against it, eventually coming to the Western writing Gulag Archipelago, showing how the forces of communism always inexorably lead in bad directions, and he associated the rise of um, harmful ideologies with lying. So uh, the first quote I have here is, let the lie come into the world, let it even triumph, but not through me. The simple step of a courageous individual is not to take part in the lie. I saw a a segment of a a sermon given by John MacArthur the other day where he says flat out, this side of heaven, we lose. We lose. We are not worldly. The world loves its own. It hates those of Jesus. Lies are going to have power. Injustice is going to have power. Bad things are going to happen. We're going to hate it. We're not going to go along with it. 
we're, we're going to get punished for it. That is our role this side of heaven. Now, the problem is whenever it's not just the world lying, it's within the church. When you get the church to lie, the church has lost its moral agency. It has no credibility. You cannot lie. You have to tell the truth. If there's someone you know that is coming before the annual conference that should not be ordained, you should be voting against them, and God help you, you should be publicly speaking out against them. Now, the part of this that I haven't said, I think, okay, my second bitter medicine was talking about how conservatives have not properly been in connection with one another, and that's why annual conference is such a farce a lot of the time. We have not been in connection with one another. We don't know what's going on. We don't know how to help one another. We don't know who believes what. If we are in proper connection with one another, we will know who's coming before the conference, before the day of. Um, the fact that conservatives have just become so insular on their own ministry and their own church when we're Methodist is really kind of a scandal. So I'm so glad I remembered that. Man, my bitter medicines are so good. If you haven't watched that, you need to go back. If you are a conservative Methodist, you need to be in connection with other conservatives. And before annual conference, you need to know what's coming up at annual conference so that you can make good informed decisions. But if what you're doing is phoning it in and then rubber stamping it when you all get together, you are part of the problem. You are guaranteeing that people with bad intentions can easily take over, as they have in most annual conferences in the United States. Here's another Solzhenitsyn quote. Let us not forget that violence does not live alone and is not capable of living alone. Now, as we read this, I want to replace violence with coercion because, of course, the United Methodist Church, well, in some places in Africa, yeah, there are some United Methodists actually fighting. Um, but here in America, we're not fighting. We're not violent. But there is coercion going on. For most people, they have left behind any notion that there is a God who is outside of us, who speaks with moral authority, to whom we need to conform the era of power politics has been upon us for some time, and they use the levers of UMC institutional power to exercise power over others. So that's what I am thinking about here as we read Solzhenitsyn. So uh, coercion, it is necessarily interwoven with falsehood. Between them lies the most intimate, the deepest of natural bonds. Coercion finds its only refuge in falsehood. Falsehood, its only support in coercion. Any man who has once acclaimed uh, coercion as his method must inexorably choose falsehood as his principle. And so I would say all of this liberal project of taking over the denomination and supposedly using it for the good of others has been based on lies. There was no way for them to accomplish this with honor or integrity. Um, there are people who claim to be centrist or liberals that, that do publicly act with integrity, say what they mean, but the fact that they have not corrected the bad actors on their side has compromised their integrity. So my Bitter Medicine series is primarily against conservatives who are leaving and doing something new, but there are also people responsible of every stripe. Um, there's no one with moral purity in this. Um, I shouldn't say there's no, there have been people with integrity along the line they have been systematically kicked out and made uncomfortable. Some of them, very few have stayed and man, I just admire the heck out of you. The last quote. We know they are lying. They know they are lying. They know that we know they are lying. We know that they know that we know they are lying. And still, they continue to lie. I thought that was a good ending on this one because as annual conferences come together, a lot of them are going to continue lying. They could have a sober moment of reflection going, man, we really messed up this project. It's been in free fall 
for years. Well, it's been in decline for years. We're in free fall now. So many people are trying to get out. We obviously got something wrong. We need to sober up and right the ship. That, that could hypothetically happen. They're not going to do that. They're going to continue to be drunk on their lies. They're going to continue to compel you to lie with them. And the vast majority of people who claim to be conservative will go along with it to get along. And so I'm just here on the sidelines going, hey, you should have a problem with that. If our consciences weren't seared, all of us would have a problem with this. But the fact is that, that things have been so wrong for so long. It's a dysfunctional family system. And people get mad at someone like me who highlights it rather than the people who perpetuate it. There's going to continue to be uh, uh, decline, harm, anger, resentment, toxic behavior, dysfunction. All of that's going to continue to go on. I'm not imagining I'm going to solve any of that by, by speaking truth right now. I just want to empower conservatives as you see what's going on, as you hear what's going on, to make sense of it. There isn't any point railing against Satan and, and evil. There's just understanding how he works and how it is that he has compromised what was once the biggest Protestant denomination in the United States, how it has become uh, just a, a caricature, a counterfeit figure of its former self. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll end one more time by saying the exhortation, which is, I don't want to just beat you up if you've been guilty of this over the years. I want to help you resolve to be somebody different. If you're going to the GMC or the FMC or the Wesleyan Church or whatever body you're going to, have some integrity. Insist that the, the, the body you belong to have some integrity. And if they're not going to have integrity, then leave because they're going to compromise your integrity. And in the end, you don't get to blame your lack of integrity on the people you belong to. You have to answer to God for yourself. And so carry a proper fear of the Lord so that if it costs you some money, fine. If it costs you friends, fine. Fear of the Lord sets all that right. And so I pray that as conservatives continue to leave the United Methodist Church, we do so with a right heart, rightly fearing the Lord. God bless you as you choose that. All right. See you friends later. Bye.